Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense. Light out, everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joined in the studio by my producer, Joel. And today we are covering another case out of the Warren files. It's been a while since we've talked about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Honestly, these are some of my favorite paranormal cases to yeah, cover. for sure. Because they're always so, so fucking crazy. Like, yeah. There's always so much paranormal shit going on that I'm really excited to dive into this particular case, the Ghosts of Union Cemetery. This cemetery is known as one of the most haunted cemeteries in the entire state of Connecticut. I mean, there's the amount of activity that's been observed and recorded in the cemetery will honestly blow your mind. So I'm very, very excited to get into this one and uncover some of the dark history behind this very haunted location. Before we dive into this episode, though, I wanted to remind you that if you haven't checked out my CBD company, Harlow Wellness, take a minute, go check it out because we got a lot of really cool stuff on there. If you're somebody who's been looking for a way to just take the stress off or just take the edge off at work, or maybe when you get home and you know, you're know you not somebody who partakes in you know the green stuff, that maybe this might be a good alternative for you because CBD is non-psychoactive, but it does still give you that sort of euphoric feeling and just overall chillness that you might be looking for. It's a great thing to try. It's all natural. All of our products use hemp that is organically grown here in Colorado, which we, we extract it. We put it into our gummies, into our CBD wax, which if you haven't tried CBD dabs before, that's a really, really great way to effectively consume CBD very quickly and a lot of it all at once. And I guarantee you, you'll feel a lot better after you take a CBD dab. But there's also oil tinctures that you can put into drinks or you can just take under the tongue. We've got Pineapple Express, we got Blueberry OG, we got Watermelon Haze, we got a bunch of different flavors. But best of all, our gummies are some of the best gummies that I've ever tried before. I'm oh, very facts. proud of our yeah. CBD gummies. Like a lot of hemp CBD gummies are absolute trash. They're nasty. They're mm. super, super bitter to the point where you don't even want to eat them. But our gummies are absolutely delicious. It's like candy yeah. pretty much. I compare them to Sour Patch Kids because they're yeah, that they're good. Kind of, they're kind yeah. of like that. They're, they're easy to eat. Like I just throw them back every day pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't even care about the, the recommended dose. I just throw back like five or six of them at a time because they're that good and you will feel some benefits from it. This is not snake oil. This is anything like that. There's proven science behind it. So if you haven't checked out Higher Love Wellness yet, we've got a lot of new stuff coming down the road, new topicals that are going to be coming out. We've got vapes coming back here pretty soon. So lots of lots of cool stuff happening. And if you're a listener of the show, you get 10% off if you use code lights out. Also, I'm very excited to announce that we're going to be dropping our merch collection. We've got all of our designs finalized. I think you guys are going to really, really like what we came up with. I've worked with a really great designer on this for quite a while now. So we're hoping to launch this drop uh, our last episode of October because this is the official month 
of the Lights Out podcast, right? Because <laughs> Halloween's holiday. coming up. That's yep. right, baby. So we've got a lot of really, really interesting content coming your way. A lot of very spooky things that we've got planned that we're super, super pumped about. So really, really appreciate you guys being here. Thank you for all the feedback reviews. Thanks for subscribing on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. It does really mean a lot to us. We do take this very, very seriously, and we're always looking for ways to improve the show and just overall improve the experience. And I know the last couple episodes, I've probably sounded a little congested. (laughs) I got really, really sick over my birthday, and I'm just now feeling like back to normal. So hopefully my voice sounds a little bit better than the last couple episodes. So yeah, I think it does. I apologize if it was a little, you know, a little congested and sound a little bit different, but I am back and I'm ready to just give you some of the best episodes that that we've ever done during this wonderful month of October. But this episode of the Lights Out podcast is brought to you by Raycon Every Play and Care of. But let us begin our descent into the Union Cemetery. In the heart of Easton, Connecticut, where Route 59 and Stepney Road meet, the rest an old graveyard. Truck motors hum at the busy intersection and beside it the dead rest despite the noise. At the entrance stands a foreboding sign that reads, area closed from sunset to sunrise, and a low-built iron fence surrounds the land. Beyond the fence, trees cover the edge of the graveyard in secrecy, and within the fence, dozens of bodies rest here. Tombstones weathered by time lean against their rows. Some are cracked, others are tilted, and some are both. The newer and brighter headstones rise from the green grass of a warm summer. The cemetery has seen the faces of many visitors alive and dead, and the site dates back all the way to the 1700s. Some of its tales have been lost to the dead. Some of its permanent residents have been forgotten. The wind and rain over hundreds of years erase the names once carved within the stone, and some of these souls refuse to be forgotten. They haunt the cemetery and Route 59 from a different plane of existence. Are they stranded here in ethereal form, or do they choose to stay? Are they harmless, or do they threaten the cemetery grounds? Legendary paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren took it upon themselves to investigate the motives of the supernatural within the Union Cemetery. After hearing reports of ghost sightings, they traveled to Easton in hopes of discovering more about the ghosts. Who were they? Or what were they? And what did they want? The town of Easton, Connecticut is a small town filled with large farmhouses and rural land. It is bordered by two reservoirs on its east and southwest sides, and surrounding the many small creeks and ponds of Easton, dark swampland rests in the damp pockets of earth. One lies just on the other side of the cemetery, And at night, fog seeps from the swamps and crawls into the surrounding fields of corn. It crosses the road some nights and creeps into the graveyard where it clouds over the headstones. Just north of the cemetery is an old Episcopal church just off Stepney Road. A small stone steeple rises into the air as a single floodlight keeps it lit up throughout the night. And at its highest point sits the cross watching over its surroundings. The first known sighting of a ghost roaming the grounds of Union Cemetery happened back in the mid-20th century. Two brothers, Frank and Bo Barberry, lived in a large house just north of the cemetery on Sport Hill Road. This house was once a hotel, but due to financial problems, it was sold. When they were young, the population of Easton was a fraction of what it is today, 
and open farmland covered most of the surrounding area, where you could see for miles. The automobiles of Route 59 were few and far between, and the nearby church stood as the only landmark, aside from the cemetery. The Barbary family lived on the second floor of the old hotel in the mid-1900s, and as young boys, Frank and Bo would run around the cemetery grounds and the surrounding fields. They spent much of their time outdoors and even played their games after sunset. The graveyard wasn't nearly as filled as it is now, so their games of cowboys and Indians ran wild through the sparse rows of headstones. They would holler back and forth, dodging between the graves time had forgotten. And as the sun set, the thrill of the game heightened even more. Chasing after his brother in the nearby field, Frank turned a corner and looked down at the cemetery below. The sunlight had disappeared behind the horizon, and the moonlight rose from the opposite side. The iron fence of the cemetery reflected the moonlight, and the blades of grass glistened. Near the edge of the graveyard, a white light appeared. Frank rubbed his eyes as the shape of a woman came into view. She wore a long white gown and glowed with sparkling light. She stood perfectly still as calm wind blew the ripples of her gown across the grass. The light emanating from her shined brighter than the moon, and Frank couldn't take his eyes off of her. He wondered why a woman visited the graveyard alone. He thought she was there to pay her respects to a loved one, but it was very strange that she decided to visit in the middle of the night. He thought he saw her staring down at a headstone at her feet. She cried out and began whimpering into the night. Frank then noticed she wasn't alone. There was actually something behind her. A dark figure stood behind her like a shadow upon the ground. But next to the bright light of the woman, you couldn't see what lurked behind her. In the dark of night, Frank found his brother Bo not far from him, and his brother claimed that he also saw the white woman in the cemetery. They both sprinted back to their house up a slight hill and forced their way into the living room. There, their father sat quietly in his chair with the local newspaper hanging between his calloused hands. They yelled to their father that they had seen a strange woman out in the cemetery, but their father only shrugged and continued to read the daily obituary. From the kitchen, their mother overheard the fuss coming from her two boys. She rinsed her hands in the sink, dried them with a towel, and headed towards the living room to calm her boys down. They were young and naive, and their imaginations often ran wild. She listened to the boys tell their story, panting for air between breaths as her chest heaved with excitement. She told them that there must be some explanation for what they had seen, and tried to calm them down with her gentle, motherly affection. No matter how much she tried to calm them, the boys swore that they saw a woman in a white gown, and they pleaded for their mother to believe them. She grabbed her coat from the coat rack by the door and led her boys back outside. She took them to the edge of the yard where they could see most of the cemetery. All was dark except for the gentle moonlight that reflected from the iron fence. The cemetery rested quietly without a sound, except for the chirping of crickets. Through all of the fields, fences, and headstones, there was no white woman to be seen. While all three of them scanned the fields with their eyes, a lone car made a turn onto the nearby road. Its headlights flashed across the cemetery and lit up the headstones and pillars of the field. Frank and Bo's mother told them that was what they all saw. It was just the headlights from a car lighting up the cemetery. But Frank and Bo looked at each other in complete fear. 
They both agreed with one look that they hadn't been fooled by headlights. They knew they had seen a bright woman in a white gown. And they also knew that their mother and father would never believe them. But they knew that they would always believe each other. From then on, Frank and Bo kept their distance from where they saw the apparition. The endless fields and farmlands surrounding their home remained a playground for their games. But they always made sure to avoid the headstone where they had seen the luminescent lady. Despite this, Bo continued seeing the white lady in the cemetery for years after. He often climbed the trees of a nearby apple orchard late at night and watched the deer wander through the headstones. He then shined his flashlight in their direction and the light would scare them off. From the branches of these apple trees, Bo would see the white lady four more times standing in the cemetery alone. She wept as always, and he never could understand why. The boys eventually grew into their teens, and one night, Bo was out late with his friends. His days of playing in the fields with his brother and climbing the apple trees had long since passed. His friends started getting their driver's license, and playing games in the cemetery became a childish pastime. One of his friends pulled up Sport Hill Road just next to the cemetery, and he let Bo out of the car at the end of the driveway. His friend waved goodbye and his engine sputtered as the old hunk of metal accelerated down the road. And just before he turned to walk up to his house, out in the cemetery, he saw the white lady had returned. She stood there, just as she always did in her white and glowing gown. Between the two stone pillars, a small road led into the cemetery, and further into the cemetery above a headstone, the woman wept. <laughs> This was the last time Bo ever saw the ghost of the White Lady. When Ed Warren first heard the brother's stories of the White Lady in Union Cemetery, he knew he had to take a look for himself. After interviewing Frank and Bo, Ed pieced together a few things about the ghost. The first thing was that the woman was probably a human spirit. She was bound to earth and possibly a murder victim. He thought that the black figure Frank had seen behind the woman were in human spirits, not from this world, and they might have evil intentions. From when the brothers first saw the white lady up until the 1990s, several more sightings of the apparition occurred. Many claimed that she wasn't confined to Union Cemetery, and she had actually been seen along Route 59 and at two other cemeteries. Decades had passed and several different sightings had been recorded yet ghosts don't abide by the same rules of time as we do. And the white lady was sometimes seen with varying shades of color, such as green, brown, or a fading blue. Ed and Lorraine's explanation behind this is that ghosts can change color depending on when they appear and to whom they reveal themselves to. Ghosts can appear to everyone, or they can select who can see through their subconscious. The same goes for photography and film. Spirits aren't captured by film they choose to imprint themselves on it instead. Feeling lucky, Ed packed up his camcorder into his van on September 1st, 1990 and made his way to Union Cemetery. He drove past the two stone pillars at the entrance and made his way towards the center of the cemetery. He parked his van in an empty plot and opened the two rear doors and booted up his camera. As the sun set and darkness of night came over the graveyard, 
he told himself with a firm conviction that he would stay in Union Cemetery every night until he saw something. By the 1990s, the foliage surrounding the iron fence had grown significantly since the mid-20th century. Near the entrance, the overgrowth opens up to the road, but the cemetery fence is lined with thick trees and bushes almost everywhere else. Ed set up his van so that he could see almost the entire cemetery from the center. And for five days straight, Ed Warren drove his van to the cemetery at dusk and prepared his camcorder. As the late summer mosquitoes began to buzz and the crickets chirped, Ed's patience finally paid off. Between 3 and 4 a.m., the witching hour, the weeping of a woman trickled throughout the graveyard. From beyond the cemetery in the direction of the old church, tiny beads of light moved towards one another. Known as ghost orbs, these small dots represent traces of electromagnetic energy from a spirit. The orbs crossed through the cemetery field and congregated near a headstone, and when they all finally connected together, they made up the image of the white lady. And there in front of Ed stood the apparition he waited for all of these nights. And just as the brothers described, she hadn't aged at all. She just stood there looking at Ed. Her white gown flowed in the chilly September night, and she just wept. But why? He held up his camcorder and pointed it at the ghost, but when he looked through the viewfinder, she disappeared. As he picked his head back up and looked out again with his naked eyes, she was there. Again, he tried to see through the camcorder, but she was invisible within the viewfinder's frame. He kept the camcorder recording, but decided to place it on a tripod and aimed it at the white lady. Out of curiosity, he took a step towards the ghost, but she vanished entirely as soon as he did. This was a rookie mistake, Ed would later admit. From all of his experiences with ghosts over the years, they disappear every time anyone takes a step towards them. In fear that this simple mistake cost him five days of waiting, he stopped himself and took a few paces back towards the van. And with a stroke of luck, the white lady came back into view among the tombstones. She looked at him for a moment and began slowly pacing her way towards Ed. Weaving in and out of the tombstones, she tried to move towards Ed, but something stopped her and a look of panic came into her eyes. The black figures, the same ones that Frank had seen as a child, appeared behind the white lady. According to Ed, they looked like black poodles from another dimension, except their attitude wasn't as friendly as a furry dog. Their ghostly form floated across the ground, and their movements stuttered violently around her. Then, they lunged themselves at the white lady as she wailed in horror. Even though she tried walking towards Ed with all of her might, they forced her to the left towards Route 59, and she no longer had any control over herself as they commanded each and every step she took. Ed claimed that these dark spirits were wood ghosts and that they were not from this world, unlike the white lady, who he believed to be an earthbound spirit. Unsure whether these dark shadows had good or evil intentions, Ed assumed they were made of evil energy from their interaction with the white lady. They continued pushing the white lady towards Route 59 against her will, and she wept with every step. When she finally reached the edge of the cemetery where the dark asphalt bordered its fence, 
a massive black figure emerged from a different dimension, and it loomed behind the white lady. With one swift motion, the large figure pushed the white lady into the road, and then just like that, with the blink of an eye, all of them dissipated. In shock and awe, Ed watched the scenario unfold from the center of the cemetery. He quickly packed up his camcorder, started up his van, and raced home. He woke up his wife Lorraine and told her everything he had seen in the cemetery, and after unloading the camcorder film and loading it into the VCR, they both watched the footage. Knowing how rare it is to catch a supernatural spirit on film, they held their breath. Ed fast-forwarded to the timestamp of the witching hour, and in the row of headstones beyond Ed's van, the white lady appeared in all her glory. Although no communication was made between her and Ed, she still managed to imprint herself onto his film. If you think that was creepy, just wait till you see where this investigation goes next. Before we continue, though, I want to thank our sponsors for today. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love to listen to music while I fall asleep at night. Sometimes it's podcasts, sometimes it's motivational videos, or sometimes it's just meditation. But the only way that I am able to do this comfortably is by using my everyday earbuds from Raycon. What I love about Raycon's earbuds is that they literally fit seamlessly into your ears. They have different sizes of the foam tips so that you get a perfect fit every time and they don't fall out like a lot of other earbuds out there. My favorite thing about them is the fact that I can lay down on my side and that they don't hurt my ears. And I absolutely love the audio quality that they provide. But best of all, the price for these earbuds is a fraction of what other premium wireless earbuds cost. And you still get that premium quality and premium sound. Raycon just released some new limited edition platinum earbud colors and they're really, really cool. They've got blue, a platinum silver, they have like a rose gold, really, really cool finish on these earbuds, but they have a bunch of other colors as well. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic so you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button, which is super nice. Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45 day happiness guarantee. So right now, Lights Out listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash lights out. That's buyraycon.com slash lights out to save 15% on Raycons. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash lights out. If you've ever looked into trying a meal kit, but maybe you were deterred because of the price, well, you need to check out Every Plate. Every Plate is now owned by HelloFresh, which is a leading meal kit company. Every Plate and HelloFresh, along with their other subsidiary, Green Chef, have come together to form one company with a wide array of offerings at all price points for you to enjoy which is really, really cool. And every plate is their most affordable option. But the great thing about it is that they don't sacrifice the quality or the actual recipes themselves. It's just a much cheaper alternative than some of the other meal kits out there. I've eaten a number of different recipes from every plate. Honestly, I can't really tell the difference from some of the other meal kits out there. The quality is just as good. All the ingredients come pre-measured which saves you time and money. You don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. And their recipes come together in about 30 minutes which is super, super quick. I mean, if I didn't have meal kits, I don't even know if I would be able to eat most of the time. It'd either be takeout or meal kits. But now I've done meal kits more often because they actually is 50% cheaper than a meal made from grocery store ingredients and probably even more cheaper than buying meals through a delivery service. 
With every plate, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week. You can swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking. So they really make it easy and affordable to cook hearty and delicious family-pleasing meals in under that 30 minutes. It's so much easier than buying ingredients from the grocery store, making them food, and then you make too much and you end up wasting food and wasting money. But with every plate, you get absolutely delicious meals in no time. So try every plate for just $1.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code LIGHTSOUT199. Again, get started with every plate for just $1.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code LIGHTSOUT199. And our last sponsor for today is Care Of. I absolutely love Care Of's products because they're formulated with good for you clean ingredients that are backed by science. They're super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each of their products. I've been using Care Of for probably a year or two now. And before I started using Care Of, I had no idea what vitamins or supplements that my body needed based on my own wellness goals and health goals. And Care Of really, really made that simple to figure out. I mean, if you've ever been to a vitamin store, there's a million different things to choose from. And it's hard to really know what you actually need and what you don't. But Care Of makes it super simple because they have an online quiz that takes the guesswork out of vitamins and asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and any health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. After you go through the quiz, they give you a list of vitamins and supplements that they recommend you take. And then from there, you can decide on whether or not you want to go with their complete expert recommendation or you can add and remove stuff as needed. I think the coolest thing about Care Of is that they make it super easy to take your vitamins because they come in daily individually wrapped packets that are perfect for just getting into that routine. Like I have my box of packets on my dresser and every night before I go to bed, I just rip open the packet, take my vitamins and I'm good to go. It even has my name on it, which is pretty cool. You can stop and start your subscription whenever you want. But what's great is that you never have to think about it because they just deliver your subscription to your door each month contact free. So you never have to worry about running out. So right now, you can get 50% off your first care of order if you go to takecareof.com and enter code LIGHTSOUT50. Again, you can get 50% off your first care of order by just going to takecareof.com and entering code LIGHTSOUT50. You might be wondering, did anybody else other than Ed Warren and the Barberry Brothers actually see the white lady? Well, the answer is yes. Several different people have spotted the White Lady along Route 59 and beyond Union Cemetery throughout the decades. From Monroe through Westport, Connecticut, she has shown herself. Ed and Lorraine believe her energy is strongest near Union Cemetery, and she occasionally travels along Route 59. One night in 1993, a firefighter and a police officer made their way up Route 59, responding to reports of a transformer fire. They traveled into Monroe towards Stepney Cemetery, their lights flashed, and their sirens wailed as they traveled at high speeds along the road. The flash of sparks and a billowing flame flickered in the night sky ahead of them. Their job was to find a place to barricade Route 59 to block traffic from going towards the fire. In the passenger seat, the police officer pointed to a spot to park up ahead. The firefighter took his eyes off the road for only a moment, and a split second was all it took for the apparition to appear before them. Dead ahead. The white lady formed in her glowing gown. The officer screamed at the firefighter to stop the car, but as soon as he put his eyes back on the road, it was too late. The entire truck lurched as they struck the lady in the middle of the road. Gear flew from the back of the truck and the seatbelts locked. The police officer later said it was like they had hit a brick wall. 
the ear-shattering crunch of the hood rang out. Her ghostly form smashed into the truck and rolled up to the windshield. As the truck came to a stop, she rolled from the hood and fell to the road in front of them. At first, they had thought they had hit a nun. The Our Lady of the Rosary Covenant was nearby the Stepney Cemetery, and they thought that maybe one of the nuns had wandered out to see the commotion near the Transformer fire. Both the police officer and the firefighter jumped out of the truck to help the woman, but as they rounded the front of the vehicle, she wasn't there. A car rolled up behind their vehicle and a woman rolled down her window. She screamed at them, wondering why they couldn't clearly see the woman in the middle of the road. The officer told her there was no one there. They looked all over the road in both shoulders, but they found no trace of the woman. She had vanished as fast as she had appeared, and they never saw her again. Other travelers along Route 59 have seen the white lady throughout the years. Late one night in 1990, Rod Veshi headed home from a long shift at the auto repair store. A light rain had come and gone, leaving a soft coat of water on the asphalt, and a low line of fog had crept over the road from the nearby swamps. As he passed by Union Cemetery around 12.30 that night, he made his way up a slight incline when an eerie feeling came over him. He suddenly felt the presence of someone else in his car. As he looked over to the passenger seat, he saw a middle-aged, unkempt man sitting beside him. He wore a pointed hat, and stubble grew from his chin. The man looked straight ahead and never turned his head at all. Rod quickly did a double-take, and by the time he looked back to the passenger seat, the strange man had vanished. His knuckles turned white as he gripped the steering wheel, and as he turned his eyes back towards the road, About 70 feet in front of him, the white lady appeared, waiting in the low line of fog. Dressed in a faded blue nightgown, she stared dead ahead, straight at Rod. He tapped on the brakes, not wanting to lose control on the slick road. From 60 feet ahead of him, she surged forward, extending her arms towards Rod, as if she was going to grab him. As she reached Rod through his car, he felt a faint movement crawl through him, as if she had reached into his soul. It felt like a slight creeping breeze passing right through him. An instant chill shook him to the bone. The road ahead of him began to change, and what was once a black road covered with a fine layer of mist turned into a deep blood-red color. As he looked over, he was roughly three-fourths of the way past the Union Cemetery, and he tried to keep calm as the world around him began to change. The double yellow line guided him along the road, and he prayed for this nightmare to end. And as soon as he reached the edge of the cemetery, the red road faded back to its typical black asphalt, and the low-line fog returned to its gentle white hue. Rod traveled the rest of Route 59 in complete shock. He often took that route after work because it was a low traffic area and the long country road had been quiet and peaceful. Once he returned to the comfort of his home at 1am, he told his wife what had happened and said he felt a great sadness within him. It felt as if the white lady had stolen something from him deep within. Rod's wife tried her best to comfort him, but he couldn't shake the terror he had just experienced. Every time he tried to bring up the experience though, he would get a tight feeling in his chest 
and his eyes would begin swelling with tears. Two weeks later, Rod's father-in-law was reading the local newspaper when he came across Ed and Lorraine's upcoming trip to Union Cemetery. His father-in-law convinced Rod to go and speak with them when they came into town. Up to this point, Rod had never been a believer of the supernatural, but he also wasn't necessarily a skeptic. But after his experience with the white lady and the old man who appeared in his passenger seat, he could no longer deny the realm of spirits. In hopes of navigating the trauma he had experienced, he went to speak with Ed to try and understand what had happened. Ed told him that Rod wasn't alone. Plenty of others had been experiencing increased supernatural activity near Union Cemetery. There was also a man named Buddha that had been murdered, and the culprit tossed his body into a pit behind the nearby church. Ed thinks that the ghost of this man was the same one Rod had seen in the seat beside him. He explained to Rod that for him to experience two spirits at once is extremely rare, and the road had changed a blood-red color because Rod had begun to enter the portal to another dimension. After talking with Ed for a long time, not just about his experience, but his life in general, Ed told him that he was an old soul. He saw Rod's love for nature and animals and his overall connection to the realm of nature. There was something special about Rod, and Lorraine only confirmed these feelings. Because if you remember, Lorraine has clairvoyant abilities and is basically psychic. As for the feelings of deep sadness, Lorraine told him what he had experienced was similar to a radio transmission. As the spirit of the white lady flowed through him, she planted her feelings of anguish inside of him. These were the feelings that she had felt for all the time as a ghost. She has never been able to find peace, and she is forever wandering the land of Easton. These revelations, along with his experience along Route 59, forever convinced Rod Veshi of an afterlife. Besides the White Lady, other ghosts have appeared within the Union Cemetery. Many visitors have caught mysterious lights on film. Ghost orbs and ghost veils have scattered through the cemetery at night and have revealed traces of electromagnetic energy that is believed to represent a burst of spirit energy. Several figures have formed around the headstones. What Ed and Lorraine called ballerina ghosts have been seen in different positions. They have torso-like forms where two arms and two legs extend from their center in ballerina poses. Although they look like fog or smoke, Ed and Lorraine insisted that all photographs were taken on clear nights. They also mentioned the Red Eyes ghost, which they have seen beyond the cemetery fence. Late at night, they experienced two beaming eyes looking at them from the trees beyond the cemetery. The Warrens were so confident about the rampant ghost activity in the cemetery, they said there's a 90% chance of capturing supernatural activity on film. They believe that Union Cemetery and the surrounding areas were one of the most haunted places in America. Lorraine's impressions of the Union Cemetery have been powerful. As a clairvoyant, she experienced many different kinds of phenomena within and around the iron fence of the graveyard. Her contact with the White Lady left the most powerful impression on her. Even before her first time stepping into the cemetery grounds, Lorraine knew for sure she would come across the White Lady. On her way to the cemetery, 
as she traveled along Route 59. She could sense the white lady was near, and as she got out of the car and took her first steps through the main entrance between the stone pillars, sure enough, the white lady appeared. Lorraine knew from then on the connection between her and the white lady would continue to be as powerful as ever. She continued to have mixed feelings about the cemetery every time she visited, especially near the iron fence. Intense waves of emotion constantly battered her as she accessed the multiple energies around her. Feelings of sadness, anguish, disparity, and loneliness consumed her. Deep within her chest, she felt incredible stress that was impossible to ignore. She constantly felt the urge to run away, as if something was chasing her, and she wonders if these were the feelings of the White Lady passing through her. Lorraine considered Union Cemetery to act as a supernatural crossroads. Not only was it a literal crossroads for vehicle traffic, she believed the Union Cemetery was the apex of paranormal activity across Connecticut. And as she looked into the history of the surrounding area, she saw that death and tragedy filled every road, swamp, and reservoir, going all the way back to the 1930s. Traffic-related deaths, murders, and suicides covered the area, and many of the victims had been buried there. She believed it was a lightning rod of spirit activity. Death spirits and earthbound spirits of people who have died forever roam the grounds. Even spirit guides show themselves as they help the earthbound accept their deaths and move on to the next life. Yet Lorraine warned that not all the spirits are harmless. She believed that many people have attempted to contact the ghosts over the decades, and this is the most dangerous activity when it comes to the spirit world. Opening a line of connection with the spirit realm can open up unknown gateways into the world of the living, and once something enters, it's difficult to return. Some of the spirits within Union Cemetery are inhuman and diabolical. Their intentions are not to guide others or to share their stories. They exist only to cause harm and haunt the realm of the living and the dead. This may explain the black shadowy spirits that continue to torture the White Lady. They chased her, attacked her, and shoved her into Route 59 and they might be the cause of the White Lady's eternal strife. They might be why the White Lady can be heard weeping, and why she often appears in the middle of the road, spreading her feelings of anguish to unfortunate souls of the living. The ghosts of Union Cemetery are never at peace. The sign near the entrance reminds the living world that visiting after dark is forbidden, and while the fog slowly creeps from the swamp and seeps through the iron gate, Darkness falls, and the bright moonlight unveils the long rows of headstones, casting a slight shadow behind them. And in the distance, a woman can be heard weeping, and that's when the spirits of the night come out to play. That is a story of a truly terrifying place. Honestly, I believe a lot of these accounts of what people have seen here. It makes complete sense that with all of the energy that's there, and perhaps it is a portal, that there would be apparitions and spirits of all kinds that haunt this cemetery. I think it's one of the most believable Warren cases that we've covered, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's not played up as much as some previous yeah, stories. Right, you know? and there's a lot of things that logically make sense, and there's honestly a decent amount of evidence 
to back up that there's obviously paranormal activity being experienced. I mean, you would think out of all the places in the world, where is paranormal activity going to be happening, right? A cemetery. Where they lay the dead. Exactly. And these earthbound spirits that haven't passed to the other side along with who knows what that has come Mm -hmm. through portals that have been opened. Well, there is an article that says over the years, like lots of people who've come to visit, like don't experience anything at all. And they think it's because, you know, they're skeptic and just don't believe in it at all. And it goes back to that point that the spirit does get to choose who they want to reveal themselves to. Yeah. Yeah. I I really believe that. I think it's, it's why would a spirit want to, I mean, there is some intelligence to these spirits, right? There's, is not just like, a light switch it's either on or off right necessarily right. i think a lot of people just think it's they're either there or they're mm-hmm. not but these spirits even in death have the ability to control what they do yeah. and control how they appear and control whether or not they imprint themselves onto film and photographs and i think so many people just go into paranormal investigating and just think that if i got all my equipment set up that i'm going <laughs> to capture something yeah and i and i've learned this firsthand uh, when investigating the Stanley Hotel, that when you set up stuff and you're like, all right, something happened, and you're yeah. like wanting something to happen, that doesn't necessarily mean that something's going to happen or that the ghosts are going to reveal themselves to you. It's usually when you're least suspecting, mm-hmm. it's usually when you're not looking for them that they make their presence known. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of the way that it works. It's like, why would I? I'm not here to entertain you, I'm not here to provide content right. for your your paranormal investigation. If you happen to catch stuff, good for you. But I'm looking for the people that aren't suspecting it or have the right intentions Mm -hmm. and are there truly to communicate. I mean, that's why, like I said in here, and this is what Ed and Lorraine Warren said, is that when you attempt to bridge a connection with them in true intent of communicating with the spirit, that's often when you actually get some sort of paranormal activity. I mean, that's why using the Ouija board or something like that can be so people are so afraid of is because when you're doing something like that, you are, you are asking the spirit to come in and effectively trying to communicate with them in hopes of, of establishing a connection. But I think when you're just out there to try to either prove something false or, or, you know, you're just out there to try to, to get some footage so you can be like oh yeah look at the the ghosts in the graveyard you know Mm -hmm. i think you're gonna have a lot harder of a time versus if you just like ed go out there night after night after night and just hang out there and just you know i feel like you got to kind of warm up to them in a way before they reveal themselves and ed has that perfect background to know what to look for you know exactly when to be patient everything like that but the fact that the white lady would you know, the apparition of her was so clear and like you see her eyes and yeah. her gown. I mean, that's that's really rare, I feel like, for oh, yeah. an apparition to appear like that. So I get I get from the other side why people are skeptical of the Warrens and skeptical of of their their stories because I mean it's like why them? You know, why why do they why have do all they this always profound get experience <laughs> with the with the paranormal right. versus, you know, ghost adventures, you know, they have to really try mm. hard really try really? hard to, to just get a, a few things you yeah know, versus like the warrens they got full apparition but here's the thing is like first of all we don't know maybe the warrens really were special maybe yeah. they maybe lorraine really did have special abilities i i i believe personally that there's people on on this planet that do have that 
ability, psychic ability to connect to the other side or to the spiritual realms. And they do have the ability to communicate and get messages and things like that. But there's also a lot of frauds out there who, who don't Mm -hmm. do, don't have those abilities, but claim to. Right. right. And stuff in the paranormal gets faked constantly. So it's very hard. And I get why people are often skeptical, but I think in I think in a lot of cases of the Warrens, I think that there abs there absolutely is a lot of truth to their cases. Do I think sometimes some of it might be embellished or, you know, for the sake of writing books and movies and things like that, do they kind of, you know, maybe put a little bit more in there than sure. actually happens? Yeah, probably. I mean, if you're gonna write books and stuff, you gotta have a lot of content, right? Oh, yeah. So there's gotta, gotta be keep it entertaining. something. Yeah, there's gotta be something. So but I that I don't think that necessarily discounts their investigations or what they saw. And obviously there's a ton of, I mean, there's a ton of information around them. They have, you know, their museum uh, that they left behind. I mean, the Warrens are no no longer with us, but uh, their children and uh, the people that run their museum still have a lot of objects from these investigations. And honestly, I believe a lot of them are truly haunted. So it's just one of those things, you know, everybody makes up their own opinion about it. You know, what you think of the Warrens, either think that they're total frauds or you think that they were a very truly special right, master of couple. their craft yeah, yeah like that only come around every so often right and they really did have these abilities and you know ultimately they were really trying to push forward the the field of of the paranormal because it's like there's no real way to scientifically measure a lot of these things because we just don't understand it we don't understand the spiritual realm we don't understand how you know, we believe it's electromagnetic energy because, you know, we all have, we all mm-hmm. emit that electromagnetic field. So maybe it's remnants of that when we see orbs and things like that. But the full blown apparition still blows my mind. I'm like, wow, that'd be absolutely insane. Yeah. And so scary to just be driving down a road in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden there's just this glowing white lady. Yeah. Uh, be like, uh, yeah, we're going to back <laughs> up and go the other way. Flip the car in and reverse. And the fact that the uh, Roddy hit her mm. and it, physically impact or the firefighters and the police officer go into that fire they hit her yeah and it actually like causes them to stop it was like a wreck but then she wasn't there that's really that's interesting very that interesting she she impacted the real world so right. are those got those police officers and firefighters lying about that eh, i don't know hard to say or did they hit a deer and maybe they thought it was the white lady i don't know i mean it's hard to say but I thought that was really, really interesting because you don't hear that very often where wow. a spirit is actually physically impacting the living world like that. Right. That's really very wild. rare. Yeah. Clearly a very powerful apparition of some sort. So you'll have to let us know what you think of the Union Cemetery or if you've ever even heard of this Ed and Lorraine Warren case. I want to continue to cover a lot of their work because there's just so many. I mean, there's endless cases that they have. So we'll definitely keep diving into the Warren Files. I absolutely love it. I find their their cases very interesting and entertaining, and I hope you do too. But that wraps up this episode of the Lights Out Podcast. Please subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. Leave us a comment on what you guys thought of this case. And until next time, lights out, everybody.